Thank you for joining me for today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. Where are you right now? Are you home? Are you in your car? You could be walking, listening on your cell phone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for participating in this program. I really appreciate it. I'm trying to picture you out there, all of you. Today, we're going to have an interview all the way from New York City with Michael Whalen. Michael is a composer of over 650 television and film scores and thousands of advertising jingles. You have definitely heard Michael's music. But what we're going to be talking about today with Michael, along with some of his music, are two other topics, sleep apnea and weight loss. You're going to want to stay tuned for this very interesting and educational program. But first, a few personal news and notes. My heart is heavy this morning because last night, following a board meeting of the KZYX board, I was informed that Dennis Kerwin, a Fort Bragg resident, was killed this week. Dennis was a husband, a father, the owner of Geo Aggregates, formerly Baxman's, in Fort Bragg, California. He was a jet pilot, a helicopter pilot, an expert horseman, a skin diver. Uh, He had many accomplishments, but most of all, he was a really lovely guy. I met Dennis for the first time a few years ago when he showed up at my home with a a truck and a large trailer. And in the trailer, he had a steer a 1,500-pound steer. And after introducing himself, he said that um, he wanted to give the steer to us. He, uh, We live not too far from his business, uh, Geo Aggregates, and he noted our property. And so he came by and he told us this story about how these two women had raised this steer as a Labrador retriever. They had bottle-fed him, they kept him on his on their lap and petted him and kissed him and hugged him and then as time progressed they began to realize that this labrador retriever was now 300 and then 500 and then 700 pounds and they no longer could handle him and dennis was looking for a home so that's how brownie the steer labrador retriever became part of our family and he's part of our family to this day For those of you who are ever in Fort Bragg and walking along the Hall Road, you might see him in our yard. And if you call loud enough, Brownie will come running. And he loves to be petted. And he'll give you the biggest kiss you ever got in your life. That was our introduction to Dennis Kerwin. We went on to have dinner with he and his wife and got to know Dennis over the years. It's a great loss. It's a stunning loss. My wife, Jolie, and I are shocked. And our hearts go out to his wife, Robin, to his sons, and to his entire family. At the board meeting last night, we were introduced to the new general manager of uh, KZYX, Jeff Parker. 
Jeff brings a great deal of experience to the station, and he gave an inspiring and very clear talk. In fact, it was the clearest talk by a general manager in my 10 years at the station, and uh, he, he is most welcome. We look forward to an invigorated station with expansion and to us becoming a model of, uh, of a national public radio affiliate. What else is going on? Well, apnea, which is going to be the subject of Michael's talk today, is a temporary secession of breathing while we sleep. Some of you may know about it. Some of you may know people who have it. It's very important, and you're going to learn about it today. So with that, I'm going to tell you a little about Michael Whalen. As I mentioned before, he's composed over 650 television and film scores. What I didn't mention is that he's won two Emmy Awards, that his works are featured in places from TV shows to audiobooks. His projects include the human trafficking film in 2011, 2011 that is, Cargo, and short films for Disney. As a recording artist and producer, Michael's recent solo piano recording, All the Things I Could Not Say, was released in 2013, and Michael performs in New York City regularly, where he's an adjunct professor at the City College of New York, which I attended for a while, and the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music at the Tisch School of the Arts at New York University. Some of you have heard about that Tisch School. It's quite famous. Michael started playing the piano at age three and became, uh, began formal lessons on drums when he was five. Influenced by rock, progressive music, early ambient music and fusion, he experimented with many different styles of music into his teens. In the summer of 1980, Michael found himself playing percussion with the Maryland All-State Orchestra, second keyboards in a well-known Washington go-go band, and drums in a garage-style punk band. In the fall of 1980, he went to boarding school at high school at St. Andrews in Middleton, Delaware, and during high school he wrote his first music, switching his primary instrument from percussion to keyboards, and he made his first studio recordings and self-produced recordings on a cassette four-track machine. In 1982, he produced and released his first single with singer-songwriter and guitarist Jim Speed. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Michael. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. And I, I, you know, I'm listening to the introduction going, wow, that sounds great. I, should, I, I want to listen to this. <laughs> well, good. You, you, you're going to be able you to know, listen, like, listen to it and yeah. talk it at the same time. It's amazing. No, but just thank you for the beautiful introduction. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. It's my privilege to have you here. And what I told our listening audience, as you heard, is though you are an extremely accomplished musician, that is not the total subject matter of no. our interview today. We have other things no. to talk about. And tell us, yeah. tell us what those other things are, please. Well, you know... You know, we could talk. We could talk about music, and you know, it's great. But you know, I'm 51 years old now, and you know, I've been a professional musician for 30 years, and I've, you know, and I've done a lot of the things that I wanted to do on my bucket list. You know, a lot of, and, um, but what I've discovered in the last year is, I think, going to be the commitment that I take forward for the next 10 years of my life, which is really the fusion of wellness 
and music and creating something that um, I think people have have done things with this in the past, but not the way I'm doing it. So we have to go back about uh, to 2009. 2009, seven years ago. Right. So back in 2009, I weighed 335 pounds. 335 pounds. And I am five foot eight inches tall. So I was a big guy. Wow. You know, my, yeah, I had a 46 inch waist. You know, this is radio, so we're going to make it visual. I had a 46 inch waist. And, uh, you know, I had a really hard time, like, walking upstairs. And it's like, you know, basic, you know, physical anything with, like, you know, breaking out in sweat, whole thing. So, um, I Michael, started- in terms of your understanding of a, of a man five foot eight, what should you have weighed for relatively normal weight back then? Um, uh, well, you know, from an actuarial standpoint, probably yes. between 160 to about 175. Okay, let's call it 170 pounds, and you weighed 335. Yes, sir. So, so you were, oh my gosh, you were 165 pounds overweight. Correct. Technically, that is extreme morbid obesity. Yeah, you were a walking yeah. you were a walking time bomb. Yeah, and and you know, and I at, at the time I went to the doctor, and um, you know, my doctor at the time was like, "Well, you really have to do something about it," and I did. I started, you know, slowly losing weight, and and I did okay, and I lost about sixty. 70 pounds, and I kept it off for a long time, and, and I, you know, and I, I live in your city, and I walk a lot, and it, it was great. So now, fast forward to last year. So now we're... Oh, oh, let's like take the, a... I want to interrupt you with a quick sidebar before we fast forward. Sure. I'd like to fast backwards, and give <laughs> us give us a little bit, please, if not more than a little bit, sure. about the progression of how a person gets to 335 yes. pounds. When did, it, when did you see it beginning? And tell us something about the progression and how you got there, please. Uh, yeah, great. Um, I would say that I have been battling my weight for my whole life. And I have been, you know, in the 250, 260 range for pretty much my whole life, uh, my adult life. And tell us, tell us about high school. Were you already overweight in high school? No, I mean, I was, I was, a, I was a bigger guy, but I wasn't like, I wasn't like crazy overweight. I was like, you know, one hundred and eighty-five pounds, one hundred and ninety pounds. So it wasn't like, I wasn't, but I was very active. You know, I ran cross country, I played soccer. I was very active, and then I got to college. Okay, hold on a second. I'm building a picture here now of a, of a <laughs> high school of a high school guy. He's yeah. about he's about five foot eight. He's yeah. about twenty pounds overweight, a little yeah. chubby, but he's running yeah. cross country. He's running cross country. He's doing yeah. he's doing other athletics. What other athletics did you do? Um, played tennis. Um, played soccer. Okay. You know, so this is active. okay. So this is a picture of an a- active high school teenager. He's a bit yeah. overweight. He's running cross country. He's playing tennis. He's playing soccer. He's not a couch potato. This is an no. act. This is an active teenager. 
Yeah. Now take us to the next chapter. So then I go to college and I stop. <laughs> and I am making music and I'm not exercising anymore and my weight goes up. And really from that point on, it becomes a battle of my weight versus how much I eat versus all kinds of all kinds of factors moving and all kinds of all kinds of factors. But it was it was really like a diet thing for me. Okay, tell then, us tell us more about it. We got to go slowly here because we have a, you know, Michael. Seventy percent of our country right now are obese or overweight. We um, have a national epidemic that is not getting the attention that it needs to get. You yeah. are you are helping us by going into these details. You're helping us shine light both on how this comes about and how it can be reversed. And that's why I want to I'm going to go slowly here and really ask you a lot of questions about, you know, how this came about. 70% of our country, I mean it's it's incredible. It's predicted, Michael, that one out of three children born right now are going to have diabetes. Wow. The, the medical profession is already been is already on notice that there won't be enough dialysis machines in this country to take care of all the people who are going to have kidney failure. I'm saying all this to to to, to express the seriousness of what this is about. So you're in college. You're in college. You started college. You're still at about 180. How did tell us? Tell us about the expansion in college. What happened? What did you eat? What did you not do? I, you know, I, it was very much like eat what you want. Don't be responsible for what's going in your mouth. And, you know, and I think to be fully responsible, you know, cause I, I and I really appreciate Richard Day, the, the context because it is, it, it is, uh, you know, an epidemic right now. And I was not responsible for what went in my body. I just wasn't. And, um, and I would have all kinds of excuses for like when I would eat and, you know, I'm working so much or I'm an artist and all this stuff. It was, even went into my adult life. Um, and, you know, and I am my own worst enemy when it comes to dealing with my wellness. I just am. And do you recall, I mean, we're now going back roughly 30 years, but do you recall, sure. like, were you stuffing yourself with Big Macs, oh, yeah. with, with, with oh, yeah. Cheetos, with soft drinks, yeah. just the works? All of the above. I all mean, of the you know, above. I, all of the above. I mean, because it was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a eat until you're full. It would be eat because you're, you just, it, it was like a, a thing to do. And, and one of the things that I've learned recently is it's almost like a brain chemistry thing. It's almost like your body doesn't know how to turn itself off and say, yes, I'm full. Yes, I'm satisfied. Here we go. And but that does not mean that I'm not responsible for not getting the help that I needed before now. So as you're going through college, your weight is increasing steadily. Yes. Do you recall how much you weighed when you graduated? Um, when I moved to when I left college and I went to New York in '87. I was in the 230s at that point, like 225, 230. So in college, you gained maybe 50 or 60 pounds. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then you graduate and you moved to New York City. I did. Tell us what happens next in this, quote, expansion. The expansion. Um, and then there was a period of time for a while where my, my weight was basically okay for like eight or nine years. So like from 87 to like 97, my weight maybe went up like five pounds and down and up and down. So, but in the, in, in the course of my adult life, it was pretty close to being pretty consistent. And then um, my first wife and I, we got divorced in 2001. And um, I moved, I was at that point, I lived in Boston. And I moved from Boston back to New York City because my whole family's in New York. So you get you, you get divorced in two thousand and one. How long were you married, Michael? Oh, we were married for thirteen years. Again? Thirteen years. Thirteen years. Was your wife overweight? Mm, no, not really. No. Not really. Uh huh. And did she ever? Were there discussions? Between oh, yeah. the two of you about your weight, about the aesthetics, or yeah. the health aspects, and so on. Yeah. You laugh. Was, you yeah. laugh. Tell us what a, a bit about what you remember about those discussions. Uh, she uh, she did not have a uh, particularly uh, kind bedside manner when it came to this stuff. I mean, and you know, in in her defense, you know, I, you know, I am 50, 60, 70 pounds overweight, and she was being very emphatic, and I heard it like her nagging me. I didn't hear it like a empowering context. I didn't hear it like someone loves me and she's being a stand for me. I heard it like you're criticizing me and and it drove me farther to like not take care of myself. Yeah. So you internalized the, what you saw as the criticism and used that as a as a raison d'etre to uh, to be reactive and go ahead and screw you, I'll eat some more. Maybe I shouldn't have said that's that. Right. I apologize if that's a wrong word on the radio. Uh, go ahead. So, so 2001 so, now, you're weighing about 230, 35 pounds. You're roughly 50, 60 pounds overweight, and you move to New York City. That's right. And so, um, and then, you know, I'm a bachelor again, and I slim down. And I, you know, I've got my apartment in New York and I'm a bachelor again and I swim down until I get down into kind of like the low 200s. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I got my, I got my game face on and I'm, I'm out there doing it. And there was a couple of years there, 2002, 2003, 2004. Uh, you know, I'm, I was, I was still overweight, but not as overweight as I was. I was a little more active, you know, starting to take care of myself. And then I... Okay, before we go on, we're we're now in 2003. Maybe you're roughly 30 pounds overweight. Right. Do you recall anything that you can tell us about your nutritional awareness during that period? Nutritional awareness to me means thinking about what we eat, reading the labels about what we eat, sort of keeping an eye on the nature of the combination of our food, nutritional right. awareness. What, what can you, did you have any then? Not, 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 well, it's funny because I have so much now. <laughs> um, not really. I think what, what the difference at that point was, um, 
I was active again. I was working out again. I was going to the gym fairly regularly, three or four times a week. And, um, but I, again, the, the nutrition part hadn't really happened. And then 2004, 2005, a whole combination of things that happened. Um, a financial disaster, uh, like dreadful, like, like disastrous relationship thing. And that was, the beginning of dropping into the weight a bit that like over the next year to 2009 really got me habit. So events happened in the period 2005 that were emotionally difficult, especially, especially now we're four years past a divorce, which is emotionally very difficult. Now you're running into financial difficulty. I mean, these are two of the biggest things in our lives, our relationship and our work and our money. Yep. And so yep. you've got you've got to, uh, negative things going on there. So you're a setup to do what we call emotional eating. In other words, eating, totally. eating is medicine to, to, to calm anxiety. That's right. So over the next four or five years, I, I stopped going to the gym and I keep and I and I keep. Richard, I keep kind of inserting that into this conversation because for me, my body type exercise makes such an incredible difference for me. And, and as we get closer to the present day, we'll talk more about it. But, but I stopped going to the gym. I stopped being active. And I was emotionally eating. I was drinking a lot. I was drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, you know, and I was sort of like, okay, well, if this is how things are going, I just don't care. I just don't care. So, you know, and I was... I was such a victim of my search. I mean, I look back at myself at that point. I'm just like, ay, ay, ay. I mean, like, it's just, I mean, it was just a, 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 a I want to go back. <laughs> you, know, you know, you, you want to travel back in a time machine, 13 years, you just slap yourself in the face and be like, dude, come on. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was really a victim of a lot of things that were changing in the music business and the entertainment business. A lot of things were happening um, in New York City. Uh, in terms of how the paradigms were, sh- were shifting, and and I was not keeping up with what was going on, and uh, I felt like, you know, here I am in my mid forties, and well, actually, yeah, my early forties, and my career is over, and I I'm going to be a victim. Michael, I want to thank you now. I'm going to thank you again soon, and I'm going to thank you at the end of the program for having the courage to go into and allow me to ask these detailed questions about your life and to share this uh, with the listeners. I thank you very much. It takes a certain amount of courage to do this and to go into these details. But as you and I both know, this is the guts of what's going on here, to use that, no no, no pun intended. Um, Now, you you dropped into the conversation that somewhere between the 2000 and 2009 that's the period where there was financial disaster on top of uh, the, the divorce in 2001. That in yep. addition to eating emotionally, you dropped into the conversation that you, was, that you were drinking. Now, you hadn't mentioned being a big drinker in high school or college. No, I wasn't. I, I, that, wasn't that wasn't my thing at all. College, college was, was, okay, this is important for everybody to know. This is important. You were not a big no. drinker in high school. You were not a big drinker in college. That's usually where no. we start out getting the habit. You're now no. in your mid. You're now in your forties, and you're starting. Yep. And you're starting to drink. So a lot. that says to a lot. That says to me 
right, that you're using the alcohol along with the food as medicine. It's, 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 you're using totally. it to do something to how you feel inside, which is pretty miserable. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're medicating yourself, you're mollifying yourself, you're trying to take the edge off of what you think is coming at you. And, you know, and at that point, I had no tool for, you know, managing what was going on in my life. So you must, have, you must have felt almost like a victim, like this is oh, happening, yeah. this is happening to me, and there's nothing I can do about it. That's right. Victim mentality. Right. Victim mentality is so dangerous in our lives. By the way, when you say you were drinking a lot, can you throw some numbers at us? Sure. I mean, you know, I, I mean, you know, I would go out with my friends and we would say, hey, let's go have a beer. And I would have three or four pitchers of beer myself. OK. Mm-hmm. Like a lot. I would, be drink, it, I would drink a lot. Not only is three or four pitchers of beer <laughs> quite a consumption of alcohol, it's a huge consumption of calories. That's right. I mean, yeah. thousands of calories. Thousands, thousands of that's calories. thousands of calories. And by the way, to put that in perspective for our listeners, you know, the average person about 2,000 calories a day, more or less. I mean, you can run your own numbers by going to Google for your height and weight and how many calories will maintain you at a, at a normal weight. But I'm just yep. throwing out a number of around 2,000 on a daily basis and thousands in beer alone and that isn't even including what he was eating during the day and you're moving up in the weight very quickly yep 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 um so about 2009 i'm now in um a new relationship with a wonderful woman who is now my wife oh congratulations she was terrific we've been together 10 years and she might be the most patient person in the history of anything and um, in 2009, I started the process of losing weight and getting my act together. And it started with going to therapy, actually. It actually started with talking to a therapist, and everything you just said is what he said, which was, you know, using, you know, alcohol as a way of medicating yourself, mollifying yourself with food, doing all that. But it, it was more than that, because I think... It was taking control of my life and seeing things from a different point of view. So, you know, I started doing some, you know, um, personal uh, growth and development seminars, started doing some reading, started like, and I started like getting out of my head where I was being a victim and started like living my life outside of things. And that was hugely helpful because I think for the first time I started really seeing the effect of how I, I had been as a victim on other people, my family, I have two children, and, you know, it was, it, it was, a, it was, a, it was a big deal uh, in terms of um, really taking on my wellness and really taking on the responsibility for who was I going to be for the rest of my life. And um, so it wasn't like, because I, I, I think one of the things that happens is people take on their weight and they make it a number conversation. And I think that if you do that, ultimately you will fail. Um, and what I have learned over the process now of eight years of you know, managing my weight is creating a future is very important. So one of the things that I started looking at in 2009 and then 2010 was what future am I living into? Meaning, like, when, what am I going to be as a 50-year-old man or a 60-year-old man or an 80-year-old man? Like, what is my wellness going to be like? 
and what choices am I making today that will make that future come true? So you were coming to the realization that you had a lot of say in the sculpting of who you are. Correct. And the sculpting, I mean both physically and psychologically. That's right. So you, were, so, you, you began the process of taking responsibility for your own life. I did. And so, uh, you know, so from 2009 to about 2012, 13, sort of roughly, I lost about 70 pounds. So I went from about in the, like the 330s to about 260, 255, kind of there. And I was there for a a while. Um, And I, I was there until about 2016, and I gained about another 10 or 20 pounds. So I was like 270, 280. And I went to my doctor for my physical. And at this point now, I have a new doctor. Um, actually, his name is uh, Dr. Stephen Lamb. Actually, people know him because he's on. Um, uh, he's a doctor on the View. Um, you know, he's the head of the NYU um, Center for Men's Health in New York City. He's an amazing doctor. He's become a really good friend of mine, and he kicked my butt. And he was like, "Okay, you lost weight. Good for you. You're not done. And let's talk about it." So this is about a year ago, and you're still Correct. at you're still at about two seventy five which means right. you're approximately still 100 pounds overweight, if you don't mind my using the numbers. You said you know numbers Wait. aren't, but they are right. important to some of us. So you're 100 pounds overweight about a year ago. What right. You must have put some kind of plan into action in order to have this to, to go forward, correct? He did. He did. So one of the things that we talked about was the whole brain-chemistry connection and talking about how the brain fires off stuff in terms of like, hey, I need sugar or I need food when you really don't. So, you know, so one of the things that we started looking at was really being responsible for writing down everything I eat. And I mean like every crumb, That's every right. morsel. That's right. Every every morsel. Absolutely. So like I, I have an app in my phone uh-huh. and it is literally it's literally in my hand. Uh-huh. 17 times a day. Fantastic. Like, you know, writing down, like, and, and, and here's, a, here's a strategy that I use, which has been incredibly helpful, which is you sit down at a meal, and you order the meal, and before you eat it, you put in 100% of the caloric um, uh, total of what you're about to eat, and then as the food hits the table, you can decide, am I really going to eat 100% of this? Do I really need 100% of this? Let me look at, like, what's really going on here. Oh, man. Wow, what a difference that has made for me in terms of what portion control and what choices am I making? Because you can see right in front of you, like, okay, well, this thing I'm having is uh, 500 calories. Let's pick a round number. This thing I'm about to eat is 500 calories. Do I really need that right now, or is this, or am I making an emotional choice now? Am I doing that again, like, or am I saying, hey, well, you know, I worked out this morning, and I'm going to give myself like a little, you know, uh, you know, you know, a, a little uh, present, except that I gave myself a present yesterday and the day before, the day before, the day before, right? So, so long story short, I think the key with Dr. Lamb last year was be responsible for how I eat, when I eat, 
the second part was find something that you do that you love to do in terms of physical movement. Now, I am, I hate the word exercise. I hate it. And, and, and now, in my defense, you know, for the last few years, I've been walking a lot in New York. And so my basic level of fitness has actually been pretty good. And that's one of the ways where I went from the 330s into the 260s. And, and it basically, I had kind of found sort of an equilibrium between what I was eating and the amount of activity I had. So that was good. But it wasn't enough. And so I discovered CrossFit. So for people who don't know what CrossFit is, CrossFit is a, a very rigorous training program that was invented about 10 years ago, which combines all different kinds of movements and exercises. And the workout is never the same from day to day to day to day. You're always mixing things up and you're always challenging different parts of your body. Um, and two things that I really love about CrossFit, number one is at the age of 51, it's about stretching and flexibility. And, I, and as some of you know, as you get older, your flexibility starts going out. The second piece of it is, is that you're with a group. And I see the same group five, six days a week, and it's an incredibly supportive environment, and that's been great. So, um, so having that as my exercise and having that be the engine around, um, you know, what I'm doing, because, you know, if I'm, very, if I'm very active in CrossFit for an hour, I can burn 400, 500, 600, sometimes up to 800 calories in an hour. There's another, um, there's another aspect of this that I, wanna, I just want to underline here, Michael. Sure. You are a very accomplished human being with a huge career, and you're in New York City. You must be a very busy or possibly very busy guy. Yeah. In order to be going to exercise five or six days a week, you had to make a decision internally that cutting out that kind of time from your family, from your family, from your children, and from your work was in everybody's, especially yours, best interests. And you made that kind of decision, and that was very mm. important. Because yeah, you, you. you know as well as I how many times we hear, well, I'm too busy, or I want to spend time with the kids, or I want to do this, I want to do that, and all the different excuses and the reasons for not getting the job done, and the job done is to maintain healthiness, which is being some trim, being, being fit. And, yeah, and so you, you, you made that oh. commitment. But you also did made this commitment. Wow, what was that? Oh, at New York City. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, well, everybody listening, you just heard New York City in the raw. That was great. Okay. Uh, okay. That, that was real New York. Dig we must for a greater New York. So, exactly. So you not only made that commitment with the with – the, uh, oh, by the way, folks, before we go on to the second part of his commitment – for those of you just tuning in, this is Michael Whalen. You look him up on Google and you will see what his contribution has been to the world of music, including, oh my gosh, over 650 television and film scores. But we are talking about his success story with regard to what 70% of our country is suffering from right now, which is overweight. So we're here on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller, and Michael Whalen is now going to tell us uh, again, about how you used an app. You you started counting. Yes. You started. You raised your awareness by using some technology about the volume of calories that you were taking in. Yes, and you know, and there's a million apps 
and you know, and everyone's got their own thing for doing it. And so I'm not going to go on your show and like, you know, pedal an app and say whatever because it's, you know, I have right. no interest in that. Right. But 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 here's the thing: for people who are interested in doing this, look at a bunch of different ones and see what works for you. Uh-huh. So like. So, like, don't do it because someone else is doing it. If it doesn't work for you, then find something that does. And I, I, I have to tell you that I actually tried four or five different apps because I just didn't like how you had put the information in or how it worked or it wasn't accurate or whatever. So I finally found one that I really liked and that made a huge difference. So um, I want to go back to Dr. Lamb's office. So he's like, okay, so here's the program for losing weight. And, oh, by the way, you've got sleep apnea. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? He's like, yeah, you've got sleep apnea. I'm like, no, 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 I don't. My father has sleep apnea. He's got one of those CPAP machines. He's had it for years. I am not my father. My father's got this thing. It's not me. He's like, not only do you have sleep apnea, you have severe sleep apnea, and you're going to take a test. So I went to a sleep center in New York City, and they hooked me up to the machines, and they tracked me, and they saw how many times during a minute like I stopped breathing and what was happening and potentially what could be happening to my brain because of the lack of oxygen over and over and over again over the course of the night. Um, and it, I got to tell you, doctor, it scared the bejesus out of me. I mean, like I was, I, I, I had no idea except my wife said, you snore. Okay. But what was really happening was is that it, my body was trying to, struggle to uh, to breathe and dealing with the fat and dealing with you know the the, the, the the fleshy tissue that you have in your airways and all of that stuff that happens when you're overweight. So between the lose weight to get your act together in terms of your sugar levels and all that stuff, it was the sleep apnea that was really the big wake up call. By the and, by the way, uh, folks, for those of you who are not familiar with the term apnea Apnea is a disorder that causes you to stop breathing, literally, briefly, often while you're asleep. You literally stop breathing. Uh, it's, it's a suspension of breathing. It comes from a Greek word, means the absence, apnoia. It means the absence of respiration. It's really mm. extremely dangerous. And it's no surprise that Michael was both shocked and wanted to deny that he had this. Why is it dangerous? Because when you stop breathing, you're suspending oxygenation to your brain. If you continue to suspend oxygenation to your brain, you can do damage, number one. Number two, it's highly likely that when you wake up the next morning, you'll be exhausted because you didn't get a regular night's sleep. What happens when you wake up exhausted? You're liable to do things like drink too much coffee, maybe eat the wrong food, maybe skip exercise because you're too tired. So that's oh. what he was dealing with, right? Well, that, I, beautifully said. I mean, the other thing that's also really ironic in this conversation is one of the things that happens when you don't get a good night's sleep is it becomes really hard for you to lose weight. So your whole body changes, your physiology changes, so all of a sudden... You're not giving your body what it needs, so it's not going to let go of what it doesn't need. I mean, that's, that's as close to putting it in, in, in English as I possibly can. But, but long story short, um, I started this program, um, very strict diet, um, 
CrossFit. And so since July, I've lost 73 pounds. So now I'm down to about 200. Can you hear me applauding? I'm applauding. Uh, Fantastic. So so now I weigh about 200 pounds. And, you know, the next stop is to get to 175, 180, which I have not weighed since high school. That's right. Yeah. But I mean, but I, but, but what, but what's been great about it is in the context of this conversation is, is that my apnea has gone away. So now okay, I, let's I, t- now let's talk about this. You're not you're yeah. not, now apnea. By the way, folks, apnea is not something that you can take a medicine for and make it no. go away. Very often, people who are overweight have apnea. The reason is is because of fatty accumulations in their throat, and what the treatment is, as Michael mentioned, is a machine called a CPAP, and it's a very awkward thing. That you, with a mask and tubes, and what it does is it forces air down into your lungs, literally. And it's an awkward thing to wear. Uh, people hate it while they're sleeping. Some people will reject it even though they need it. Uh, it certainly interferes with sex life. It, you don't look like a really attractive person when you're there with a mask and a big hose coming out of the, uh, off the top of your face. And yet, no. it, and yet it's necessary, and the only real cure for it is what Michael did. Namely, no. you lost enough weight to take that fatty accumulation off the inside of your throat, didn't you? I did, and it, it really it's made a tremendous difference in terms of you know, my sleeping and going to bed and all of that. However, the thing that I wanted to talk about was in the course of doing this work with my doctor, in the course of getting more active and CrossFit, I started doing a lot of research about going to sleep. So sleep apnea is not necessarily the only thing that's going to get in the way of people falling asleep. And I've, and I've had lots of problems with sleeping, you know, because I do have a very, very high-pressure, stressful job, and I've been a freelancer for 30 years. There you go. But long story short... I started learning about how people go to sleep and what people need, and I talked to a lot of top sleep doctors, and I made a friend, a guy named Dr. Ron Creeland, who has a sleep center in Toronto, Canada, and he's just a wonderful guy and become a great resource for me in terms of what I've been thinking about. And so he taught me about something called entrainment. So what entrainment is is the conditioning of your body before you go to sleep. Now, entrainment can be 20 minutes before you go to sleep, half an hour before you go to sleep, an hour before you go to sleep, whatever whatever you need. But essentially what it is in in a modern in a, in a modern world what I'm about to say is probably sacrilege, but I'll say this. You unplug from the computer, <laughs> you unplug from the phone, you unplug from the television because that white light you know, your brain processes it, and it, it, it stimulates your brain, so it becomes very hard for your brain to turn off. So you unplug from that. You, in a perfect world, you're in a you know, comfortable position, and you breathe, and you let the melatonin level of your body naturally rise on its own. So what do you do for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour while you're that's happening? You could listen to music. You could read a book. You could read a book and listen to music. So what I did was I created an album called Dream Cycle, which uh, which came out about two weeks ago, 
and it is literally an entrainment album. It's 53 minutes long, and I created it for my own sleep conditioning. And it's, the music starts very active, and as you go through the, the record, it gets less and less and less so. And um, it's been terrific because Dr. Freeland's been using it at you know, his clinic in Canada, and a, a number of my friends have been using it. Um, last Sunday here in New York City, I did a sleep concert called Sleep Well, where we had 40 people, and we actually did an entrainment session where I played the album live, which is really cool. And people got relaxation techniques, and I had two friends of mine who are yoga masters come and work with people on breathing and all kinds of techniques. And it's been awesome to create music, which has a very specific purpose. It's very, very simple. Basically, unplug, lie down, breathe, and let your body do what it's supposed to do. And then you will really be setting yourself up for sleep in a way that... Um, 99% of people right now don't. Right now, people like are running through their lives. They drink too much caffeine. They do, they do everything wrong, and then they lie in bed and they go, I've got sleep problems. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want to add one thing to what you said about the things they do wrong, because everything you said is correct. The other, yeah. thing, the other thing that we do, Michael, is that many of us put television sets in our bedrooms. Oh. Yes, and yes, and definitely. and and many people watch television before they're going to sleep, and then they yes. turn the television off and they think they're going to fall asleep, and they they're not realizing what you are teaching us about brainwave entrainment. And by the way, folks, yes. what Michael is saying, this isn't a bunch of woo-woo, uh, fuzzy uh, t- stuff. Brain entrainment is a method to stimulate the brain into entering a specific state. Oh by using a pulsing sound, a light, or an electromagnetic field. So what happens is the pulses, they elicit the brain's frequency-following response, and that encourages the brain waves to align to the frequency of a particular beat. And so what Michael is teaching us, and what he's doing, is that instead of using a sound or a light, he's using music, and the brain aligns to the music. So given, given his huge experience at composing music, you've got to stop moving around there, Michael. It's coming right over the radio. Thanks. Okay. The, um, he's aligning our brain waves with the music that he's composing in order to provide the brain with a relaxation response. Excellent thing for those who can use it. And it sounds well, like I you had. It. it sounds like you had quite an experience doing it, and, and and also mixing it in with yoga. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that's really interesting is is that, like you say, that people go to this place where it's like you know this like woo woo thing, and it's not. I mean, so much of what what I'm talking about is so simple. Now, I did not say it was easy, and you know, and I want to go back to to a point you made, Richard, about ten minutes ago when you acknowledged me and the, and the time that I put in, um, you know, with the, the work I do in the gym, and I really appreciate that. I think one of the biggest pieces that people don't do for themselves is they don't schedule when they go to sleep. In fact, they don't really schedule a lot. They run through their life trying to catch up with all the things that people are very busy, but they don't schedule things. And, 
you've got to go back to when, if you are a parent and you had a child, or even you remember when you were a kid, there was bedtime. Okay, time for bed. And there was a very there was a very distinct way that you went to bed, and maybe someone read you a story, or they gave you like a bath or whatever. But you got yourself mentally ready to go to sleep, and then someone put you down, and then you went to sleep. And I think as adults, we're like, oh, I don't need that. I'm too busy. I can't do that. And it's like, nope. What if you took on taking care of yourself as a way of giving yourself a gift, giving yourself that 20 minutes or 30 minutes at the end of the day where you could really just complete things and take a deep breath and let things go and like show up for the next day ready to go. Um, I mean, the difference in me and my life my, my how I'm operating is night and day um, because, yes, losing the weight has been great, being physically active has been great, but getting a great night's sleep which has been a game changer, well, total game changer. Absolutely. Getting a great night's sleep gives you the energy to focus on the athleticism and on the awareness that it takes to maintain a certain caloric intake, unquestionably. Now I'm going to tell you something you don't know about me because we we just met. Uh, I'm six foot five, and uh, my correct weight is approximately two hundred. And um, there was a time when I weighed two ninety five, so oh. I was ninety five pounds overweight, and that oh. happened in my early twenties. And I didn't have an app then. But I basically did, with the help of a therapist also, as you uh, got help from a therapist, um, I did almost the exact things that you have done. The combination of raising the awareness, becoming very aware of my caloric intake, and exercise. And it's taken, that was fifty over 50 years ago, Michael. And I can tell you that it takes daily vigilance. It's not something that you just do and conquer in your 20s the way I did and then say, okay, now i got a free ride for the rest of my life. It doesn't work that way. What I got for the rest of my life is a maintenance project. I've got to stay aware and stay exercising and stay aware of the caloric intake because if I let it go, I can put on 10 or 20 or even 30 pounds so quickly that it, you know, it just, uh, it's breathtaking. And, I, yeah. and you know that. I can see you shaking your head. You know what I mean. 20, 30 pounds, 20, 30 pounds like nothing. So I've got to watch it. And I do because it, it's, a, it's an ongoing maintenance. And actually, Michael, when you think about it, that's so true for so much of our lives, isn't it? I mean, you have to maintain your car. You've got to maintain your clothing. You've got to maintain your technology if you have you know, equipment. And first and foremost, we have to maintain this thing that carries us around that we call our bodies that we live inside of. True, I, and what you're and what you're saying is is so true because it goes back to the point I made before about you know living into a future and the future that I've I've created is what do I want to be like when I'm an 80 year old man? Like you know I said to my wife I said like look I have a picture you and I are walking up you know a hill or a mountain someplace I'm holding your hand and I am one of these like strong like virile like tan guys I got like a walking stick and you know it's a beautiful day and. Like, what do I need to do today as a 51-year-old man to make that 80-year-old man walk up that hill with his beautiful wife? And I might sell out on myself, but I'm never going to sell out on that guy. And so when I wake up and I'm going to make a choice about something, it's like, 
wait a second, am I taking care of him? Because if I'm taking care of him, then okay, then I'll take care of me now. And it's, it's a great, for me, it's become great, like, um, uh, fallback as a way of, like, not falling into victim things, not being emotional. It's literally like, hey, you know what, I'm going to take care of this person, and it's my future self. And boy, has it made a huge difference. Huge difference. Now, this uh, exercise program that you're in, that you go to to uh, five or six days a week? Yep. And roughly how many minutes is the class? It's an hour. It's a one-hour class. Mm -hmm. According to the research, that's about the perfect amount of time for an exercise program because we get the most benefit back for the amount of time that we put in. Indiana University, by the way, did that research, and it's readily available. Um, I will say to everybody listening and to you as well that if you can possibly do it the best time of day to do that exercise program is in the morning why is that because then you get the benefit of the exercise for the entire day your work day or your social day do the exercise late in the day or early evening it could be disruptive to your sleep because you've gotten that big emotional pickup that you get from the endorphin release And, again, according to that Indiana University research, if you exercise for an hour, you get at least seven and a half hours payback. That's important to know because you exercise from five to six, that means you're still getting your payback at one o'clock in the morning, and most people want to be asleep earlier than that. So tuck that one away. Early, You get the best benefit from early morning, even if that means rearranging our schedules so that we do the exercise before going to work. It's a tough call, but, you know, it's part of what we have to do. Now, how old are your children? Uh, My daughter's 18, and my son is 16. And how are they doing in relation to dad and dad's project of of making himself a healthy person and a fit person? Tell me. Great. I mean, my son is a cross-country star, and, you know, he's gorgeous, and and they have both been incredibly um, supportive. And my daughter is somebody who, it, it's really interesting. I see so much of myself in her, but what I'm doing, you know, she said to me a couple of times, you know, like, I'm so proud of you, and it's really helped me make better choices, That's, so, um, that, which, which has been great. So they know your story in detail. Oh, big time. I mean, the, the other thing also, I and to, we, we had talked about it 20 minutes ago or so. Um, I've been sober four and a half years, so, um, and, uh, so no alcohol at all. Well, there's 150 calories in every single drink that you're no longer taking in. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, so, yeah, because we, we had talked about it, and I just want to make sure just for the listening audience that they, they got that as well. So, no, I'm not drinking at all. Yes. One of the other things that I've taken note of that I've talked about before, and I'm going to mention again here, Michael, is that if you keep everything else equal, do the exact same amount of exercise and eat the exact same amount of food every day for a year, but the only thing you change is that you have one uh, soda pop a day, one soda pop a day, everything else is equal, at the end of the year, you've gained over 15 pounds. That's a very important piece of information because how often do we hear, oh, you know, I'll just have one. Or, you know, I'll just have one piece of pizza. I'll just have one. Sure, one is nothing. But one multiplied by 365, you you can run the numbers yourself. Just take 150 calories, 
multiply by 365 and divide by 3,500 calories in a pound, and you'll see that just that little one, and you've gained over 15 pounds. That means that if a, if a person goes to college, Michael, and decides for the first time, you know, the folks aren't around, I'm going to have one soft drink here and there, they do that for four years. At the end of college, they've gained 60 pounds. Yeah. 60 pounds, just from the one soft drink. Huge oh. amount. Again, this oh. comes back, yeah, I know, I see you shaking your head. It's, it's, oh. uh, it's dramatic, and that's why what you're doing is so right on, which is the, the awareness, raising the awareness and keeping track of what we're doing. Tremendous. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're coming to the end of our interview. I told you I was going to thank you for your courage again, and I do. I thank you for your courage. I, 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 I'm so pleased that you're willing to talk about this on air, and I really am on a kick that I'd like everyone who's overweight to talk about it. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's part of the human condition. It's an epidemic we're dealing with. So many of us are in it together. If we aren't in it now, we were in it before like I was. And we've got to make the conversation okay. It's got to be okay to talk about us being very overweight so that we can help one another. And to that, you've made a great contribution. And thank you so much. Uh, Richard, I, I'm really grateful to be here. And, you know, and if, and if you, um, you know, everyone who's listening, if you have an opportunity, you know, look for Dream Cycle. You know, it's available. Dream Cycle. There. Look for Dream Cycle on Google. I've got a rush now. Michael, when you come to California, you've got my phone number. Give me a call and come visit or stay with us with your family. You're most oh, welcome. You so it would be thank great. You. And thank you all for listening to today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, which is made possible by our KZYX staff and our in-studio engineer, my dear friend, Mike DeLora. Please join us again in exactly two weeks at 9 o'clock Pacific Daylight Time. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is worth working real hard for, and it's essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I see trees of green.